Welcome back once again to the Lone Star Meeple Podcast. With me as always to my right is the Red Meeple, Alex. Hey y'all, how are you? To my left we have the Green Meeple, Michael. Hey guys, how's it going? And myself, the Blue Meeple, Sean. We are the Lone Star Meeple Podcast. Alright, season two of the Lone Star Meeple Podcast season starts two. today. Season two, and, uh, 2021. From what I've heard, Already renewed for a season three. Yeah, we're already renewed. We are. Wait, You're I didn't right. get a contract yet. What? Oh no, oh. no, shit. It's cool. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We, we, we got no, you. Don't worry. don't worry about it. <laughs> All right. I love. I love how I'm always on your right, even though we're we're not in the same room. <laughs> we're all. We're not. We're remote. You're remotely today. to my right. That's I'm, what it is. I, in your heart, I am the one to the right. Yes, on so the Zoom meeting, you are the one that is positioned to my right. right and michael yeah. is positioned to my left so we're in central texas and we're getting our week of winter this year and it's All a little once. worse than it normally is it's like in the 20s for a couple days in a row and we don't know how to drive on ice so we decided to play it safe and stay at home it's well, actually let's clarify that you 20s. don't know how to drive on ice i grew up in new york city so i'm used to driving on ice and snow this is nothing for me the ice doesn't hit the subway in new york that's why it would, neither does my car i got in trouble <laughs> I thought, you, I thought you were from Jersey. Not from Jersey. It's Staten sure. Island. It's basically Jersey with higher taxes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we've been we've been uh, delayed in making this video because a lot of stuff is happening to the Lone Star Meeples. We have houses now. We have... Uh, I got married, so that's exciting. Huzzah. Yeah, you can, you can hear my wife on the third episode of the Lone Star Meeple. We did one with the girls. Um, I think it's the third one. Yeah. So a lot of exciting and uh, news for us. And there's also exciting news for one lucky listener. Oh, yeah? Yeah. We have a, let me see. I don't want to mess up her name. Kelly Perman, who won our 10 by 10 challenge. Once this uh, ice gets off the road, I will hurry along to the UPS store and ship off her 10 by 10 challenge from our friends down at Braddock and Company and a secret game that nobody but me oh, knows I forgot about the secret game. Yeah, everyone everyone always gets Yeah, it's 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 from my shelf to yours, new to you, old to me, uh game. Yeah. So that's exciting. I hope I hope she enjoys it. I really cool. do. Well, congratulations Kelly. So part of the thing was uh, part of the contest. We asked everybody to list the ten games they want to play for the ten by ten this year. Hers are Scythe, Dice Forge, Mansions of Madness, great game, Galaxy Trucker. I always want to play that one. Shadows over Camelot, Dinosaur Island, Terraforming Mars, Blood Rage, Blood Rage, Blood Rage. It's all right. Yeah, yeah, that's a great game. Uh, Tiny Epic Zombies and Everdale. So all that's... great games. I think I think us and Kelly could be friends. She, mm. with those games, she is welcomed at my table. I think so. Blood Rage first, always. I always. mean, but she she wants to play Terraforming Mars. Besides that, eh, well, you know, perfect. there's there's not enough time to play all the games in one night. We can we can leave one off. Yeah, <laughs> some some fall off the end. <laughs> Okay. But Kelly, hope you enjoy that. Keeping track of your games over the year. Let us know by the end of the year if you were able to succeed your challenge. Well. So speaking of games, we uh, we we also didn't didn't we have a, a contest or something going on recently? Yeah, we did gave we, the was... we had a game of the year contest. We, we did last have a episode game. we did some nominations, put it out to the internet for everybody to vote on who their favorites were. 
I do remember that. You're right. Well, we have our, our winners that we picked the games, you voted on, and we respect, even though I, I, I don't agree with some of the choices, that we're, <laughs> we're going to respect your choices and give those game of the years to the people who deserve it. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say when I, as I was watching the results coming in, I was even a little like, huh. I did not expect that to get quite as many. So votes the funny as thing did. is, like, we all had, we all had two games that came in real high, and I think the, each one of us, the game that came in second place, was the one that we really wanted to win our list. But the second place game we all really enjoy because it did make each of our own top ten list for the year. But it wasn't the one we probably would have chose for the game of the year of our own. And then I know I'd go through through the through the results, and I'd be like. Oh, that guy's dumb. That's not the one that should win. Oh, that guy's smart. That's the one that should win. So even though I picked all ten games, I had my preferred. Oh, I had absolutely. My, yeah, I had my. Uh, what do you call it? Not an underdog, but the one you think's gonna win. Overdog. I don't know. Your champion. Uh, middle of the road dog. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. But anyway, so let's 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 start off with our. So we have. The Red Meepo Award, the Blue Meepo Award, the Green Meepo Award, and then the Grand Champion of them all, the Lone Star Meepo Award, which is the game, the GOAT, the game of the year. Uh, let's start off with Michael. Why don't you tell us the Green Meepo winner? Um, I thought it was going to be the Ninja Turtle game. That came in second place, I'm pretty sure, with a lot of votes. Uh, but just edging it out is The Crew, The Quest for Planet Nine by... Uh, Thomas Singh, uh, produced by Cosmos Games, and the artist is Marco Armbruster. So this is this is interesting, and uh, I wouldn't have thought a co-op game would win game game of the year. It's uh, really a unique co-op game. It's it. I really enjoyed this one because it just brought me back to where I started playing games with hearts and spades, just a trick-taking game. But then it made it unique and interesting. Becoming I just, in all game. honesty, I just thought the game was too easy. Maybe I'm just a hard. We also didn't master, play very but... many missions on it. True. But we but... we played the first few, which is the intro getting you into the game. But we can bring it back out and try playing it some more. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was that was an interesting pick. Um, it's not the one I would have picked for on your list, but I I thought uh, it's, it's the one the people chose. Yeah, the people chose. I I would have thought Forbidden Waters would have won. Forbidden Waters uh, is a good game. Too. That is such a good game. That is so much fun. If you haven't played, all these people who voted for the crew, go play Forgotten Waters. Come back and revote. I'll, I'll I'll give you a pass on that one. All right. What did you have, Alex? Well, to my surprise, again, I guess because it was the most passive uh, uh, game in my in my set, Calico won. By designer Kevin Ross, artist Beth Sobel, and published by Flat Out Games. So, so I feel I like mean, this would have been one you would have voted for yourself just because it has to do with cats. Well, you're right. I do That's love why you cats. Bought it. That's why I bought it. <laughs> and then sleeping cats. You know how cute cats are when they sleep? But no, I would have honestly thought Dwellings of Elderville, or it, it, the problem with this game in my mind, why. I really enjoy it. It's solitaire 
it's a solitaire game. It's a multiplayer solitaire. You're playing your own board, taking the tiles. You really don't affect those around you, um, which usually isn't my style. But I do think the theme helped it a lot to push it towards into my collection. If it had been like trains, I probably wouldn't have bought it. But it is a fun. It's it's stressful and relaxing at the same time. Don't don't ask me to explain why. I mean, you're building quilts and letting cats sleep on it. How stressful can that be? Because you need to right? get the right. Because you need to get the right patterns and the right stress. It like burns your brain. You're sitting there going, ah, which where's what piece do I need? How many are left in the bag? It is a good game though. I enjoyed it when we yeah. played it. It is though. I I will say like at first when we, when we played this, I was like, oh, this is easy. This isn't that bad at all. Until I realized that I compl- I was like, oh, wait a minute, hold on. I'm, I'm <laughs> oh, scoring two points. I will say best. Hold on. I will say Beth Sobel's name. I'm hearing more and more lately. She's uh she's getting her name out there in the board game world doing art. She draws um, cats. What else? What else? She also make? draws birds. Oh, she uh, draws birds too. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure she did one called Sunset Over Water. And which is basically a game about painting pictures of sunsets over bodies of water. And it's just a fun little, um, do you remember playing like um, Ninja Camp with yeah. the, all the ninjas on it? It's similar yeah, to, I think, to I that. I think I played that one with you. Huh? Yeah, you, uh, the artists are going all over. But yeah, Best Sobles, She, I really enjoy her art. All right. And Sean, what about you? What's so, on your list? The, the one that was the winner on my list and, I would have expected this one to come in at around third, but it actually won. It was King of Tokyo Dark Edition. Uh, it's designed by Richard Garfield, uh, published by Yellow Games, and Paul, and I apologize if, if I completely butcher this pronunciation, but uh, Mayfayon, Mafayon, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Sorry for that, Paul. Mayfayon. Mayfayon, yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the I will Weird say, though, stars. the artwork on this is, is, is pretty dope. I definitely... I, everyone knows that I am certainly a, a fanatic when it comes to horror games and dark theme kind of art. And I think um, the, the art on this version of King of Tokyo definitely kind of kicks it up a little bit. But I would have expected more either Star Wars Outer Rim or um, Clank Legacy to kind of win. I was expecting King of Tokyo to come in around third because King of Tokyo is one of those classics that a lot of people enjoy. And, and I will still play it. You know, if someone takes it out, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I'll play, I'll play King of Tokyo. Why not? Um, but yeah, it's, it is definitely a cool game. It is roughly your standard, you know, King of Tokyo, you know, there's not too much different there except for the fact that the artwork is amazing in this one. It's not as cartoony as it was. Yeah. The original is really cartoony. Yeah. So they, they took that campy kind of monster movie aspect out of it and made it more of like a, I don't know, it feels more threatening and, uh, and, 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 you know, dark <laughs> for lack of a better word. Uh, they did add a new mechanic. It's like this wickedness kind of feature where as the game is going on, you gain these wickedness points. And once you get to a certain threshold, you can like get all these other abilities that will factor into the game. So they, they did add a little bit to it to kind of change it up uh, from King of Tokyo. And it was one of those changes where it wasn't too drastic of a change that it completely you know flip-flops and turns the game on its head. But it was subtle enough that it adds a nice little... A nice little element to it. So that was the uh, the Blue Meeple winner was King of Tokyo Dark Edition. And the last one is the game of the year for us. And it was on all three of our lists at the top of all three of our oh, lists. Wait, wait, wait. Is... Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Right, here we go. You ready? Blank and... Legacy yeah. Acquisitions <laughs> Incorporated. Absolutely no 
no, not even a little bit of a surprise to me. That game no, was no. Amazing. I mean, to be honest, I was almost, I was kind of worried that Clank Legacy would have, since we all had it on our individual list, I was somewhat worried that Clank Legacy would have won all our individual list and game of the year. I'm mean, like, well, that was, <laughs> that was anticlimactic, now wasn't it? But yeah, uh, designer Andy Clautus and Paul Dinnan, art by Clay Brooks, Annika Burrell, Derek Herring, and Raul Ramos, published by Direwolf Games. Yeah, uh, and for anyone who has not played Clank, I'm, I'm at this point, most people have probably played Clank, but I will still stand by, if you don't own Clank and you were thinking about buying it, buy the legacy version. Absolutely. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna one up you. If you own Clank and haven't played Clank Legacy, go buy the Legacy version. It's just it's dumb fun. It, it's it's really fun game. I think Dire Wolf has knocked knocked it out of the park with that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, they publish what my, it's probably going to be on my list next year. Dune Imperium. They're 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 on a hot streak right now. That yeah, Dune so. was Dire Wolf. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Didn't it's actually it. made. It's actually made by the person who created Clank, I believe. Oh, so, cool! Nice. Yeah, um, and you know what? If you get the Legacy game, play the Legacy game. Rip the cards, destroy the components, make the game yours. This is one of the few Legacy games that claims it can be a fully playable game at the end and feels like it is. Oh, when oh we no! Were it done, totally is. When we it, were it done with it, is, yeah. it felt like a real game you can play. Unlike some other Legacy games that are quote unquote playable when you're done it just didn't feel those didn't feel like it but this one absolutely yeah and what's cool with the legacy version too is that the board is double-sided so it's almost like you're getting like uh, two two clank boards with the one you know the one situation and then as you're playing (laughs) through it either you're adding stickers and you're going through all those legacy elements and uh and you're changing both sides of the board so by the time you're done you're you're gonna have your own unique board uh and i think what's funny with ours is there are certain stickers on the board where for anyone that has played, I don't, I'm not going to spoil anything, but for people who have played this game that would look at those stickers and go, who in their right mind actually chose that? I as think the, the answer put on the obvious for us. It was Scott. Scott. Yes. Scott, that That yeah. is the answer. Like when, we, when I what? look at a board I, and I see something and I'm like, Scott picked that, didn't he? But I do, I do appreciate how it bit him in the ass more than us. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's what you get, buddy. You thought that was going to work out in your favor, didn't it? No. Uh, Because this one did something fun. Like, it gave you choices. And when you made the choices, like, all right, you made the choice A. You get to open cards 11, 12, and 13. Those are now part of your game. But if you made choice B, you open cards 15, 16, 17, and those are part of your game. And you will never see those other cards. They're going to stay in the box and stay away. And those aren't part of your story and part of your game. And if you made that choice or a different choice, your game's going to be different than someone else's. And that's the beauty of legacy games, that it's your game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and when you're why... done, you could, in theory, choose to just integrate whatever cards you didn't use. I didn't in mine. I, I wanted my version to be the way that we left it off. So any cards that were not chosen during our gameplay are in the box and will never be part of my copy of the game because I don't I want to leave it off the way that we ended the game and actually yeah. play it like how our story ended. 
Um, another thing that I don't even know if we talked about the little frames that you made for everybody, little shadow boxes oh, yeah. that we did at the end of the um, for all the uh, contracts that we created or completed. Instead of ripping those up and destroying them like that, we signed those contracts and kept them in our box. And then we were able to make little memory, bo- or you made little memory things for everyone, little memory frames for everybody at the end of it, which was yeah. really cool. Yeah, I think that's going to start probably becoming just a, a tradition for legacy games. I know Alex, mm-hmm. Alex, you did something similar when we finished Rick's Risk yeah. Legacy. You kind of yeah, made like these shadow boxes with, uh, with with some stuff. So yeah, and we did the same thing with Pandemic Legacy. So yeah, it's 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 traditional now. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's just one of the games that makes legacy games so much fun. Yes, you are destroying the game, and it's done when you're done unlike some like Clank Legacy, but being able to have that memory and being some of the best game experiences we've had are tied to legacy games. Yeah. yeah. And to to the be honest, it can be true sometimes too. Like, yeah, Alex, like Al- Alex has made a good point before when it comes to like people who are like, Oh, I don't want to rip up the car. I don't want to do it. Like Alex has made a good point, you know, before when he said like, you know, pick out a game on your shelf, like a legacy game, you will typically get 10 to 12 plays out of it mm-hmm. before it is, it is completed. Pick out a game on your shelf that you have played 12 times in the last year. There might yeah. be a couple, you know, a couple of them. But for the most part, a lot of your games, you probably haven't played 12 times in total, let alone, you know, in the course of just a few months. Well, that's if you're, if you're a real gamer. Yeah. Not, not one of these passive gamers with one game of Monopoly that they've played a thousand times. But So to finish off the... Um game of the year and um section is we have commissioned um braddock and company to create some trophies for us and once those come in we're going to be shipping them off to the publisher to actually so they have a a physical award for the lone star meeple award yeah yeah i think that that's gonna be pretty cool well uh hopefully if when they get it you know they'll they'll put it out on their on their twitters and on their on the grams you know lone star meeple award And now we got a whole another year of games to play to come up with this year's selection. Yeah, and hopefully I mean, COVID goes away and <laughs> makes us yeah. able to do that. Hey, once we all have the vaccine, game nights start again. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> we, we can. I feel like places still aren't going to open, which is going to drive me nuts. Like, all right, everyone has the vaccine. Open things up again, please. All right. So new things in 2021 we're actually going to review games, real reviews of real games for our fans. We've, uh, I'm sure you've seen the Blue Meeple's Beastly Hour on YouTube. If you haven't, go to YouTube. If, Although I think oh, I'm going to change the name now. The Board Games Beast, that's it. <laughs> the, board ga- the Board Games Beast Top top 2 or something like that? Go the ahead. Blue, the Blue Top 2. The Blue Top 2. Go. We'll tell our fans about it. So, yeah, like Alex said, we're, we're going to be trying to, because we, we do record a little sporadically, um, you know, we, we all work full time and sometimes getting together to record the podcast can be a little, uh, a little challenging. So we're all going to try to make sure that we're getting everybody more content and things that are out there. So one of the segments that I have started is called the Blue Top 2. It's going to be a monthly segment uh, where I'll consider all of the games that I played in the previous month. And out of all of those, I'm going to pick the two that I enjoyed playing the most. So there's really no criteria other than I just happen to enjoy this one the most in that month. So it could be an older game. It might be something newer. Um, it's just what I had the most fun with out of all the things that I played. 
in that particular month. I'll tell you a little bit about the game, uh, and then if you're more interested, you know, we will more than likely at some point have reviews, like full-on reviews on these, but it'll kind of give you just a, a rough idea of what these games are like and, you know, why I enjoyed them so much. And where can, where can we find these? So right now they are on YouTube, and I plan – we will be putting these up on the website. Um, I'm still kind of working through some video editing and recording possibilities, and we're uh, – we don't, we, don't, we don't have all the fanciest software and recording equipment, so I want to make sure that, you know, I kind of get, you know, uh, some, some trial runs in. But I, w- I will be putting them up on the website uh, as a page for these. Uh, and they are also on our YouTube channel, The Lone Star Meeple. You can find us on the YouTubes. And, uh, yeah, and Alex, you have something that you're starting as well uh, that we're doing on TikTok, I believe, uh, for, for some one-minute quick down-and-dirty reviews. Why don't, you, why don't you give everyone a heads up on what you got going on there? Yes, yeah, so my side project that I've been working on is I'm doing quick one-minute reviews of the games that I've been getting, that I've been buying. I did Bunny's Kingdom for my first one, just kind of trying it out. My second one is a one-minute review of Dwellings of Elderville. Next coming up is A War of Whispers and Micro Macro Crime City. So keep an eye out for those. You can find them on TikTok. Uh, TikTok. 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 Twitter, mm-hmm. <laughs> TikTok. You can find them on TikTok. Uh, I'm also tweeting them, and hopefully, we'll also put them on YouTube. They're quick, one minutes. If you want uh, my thoughts in a minute, that's where you'll find them. They're called the Red Meeple Reviews. I've also wanted to be doing this as well. I just just now got my game room put back together in this past week, so hopefully, I can start doing some of those as well using Lone Star Meeple TikTok account. All right. Something so now. I've also been doing, I don't think I've told y'all this, that I've tried to be more and more active on the BGG forums. That as I click through the pages and I read a forum, I'm trying to comment more and more on them, uh, help answer questions and things like that. I've just been a very passive member of the uh, BGG website, boardgamegeek.com. And I'm just trying to be more and more active on there. So commenting on forums, posting pictures, um, we can start throwing reviews and the videos on there as well as we uh, record these videos, link them to those websites, uh, link them to the BGG pages. But You hear that, folks? So if the Lone Star Meeple says something you don't like on BGG, it was the Green Meeples. That's right. Blame Michael. <laughs> Dang it. I'm actually using my personal account for it. It has a Lone Star Meeple um, picture on there. The logo is uh, the avatars, the Lone Star Meeple logo, but I am just using my personal account for that. Oh, okay. All right. So, so All right. Yeah. So... Yeah, I tried doing something similar on Reddit. I kind of started getting a little bit more involved in there. It's, just, it's like it's almost like a full time job, like <laughs> trying, you know, being in the forums and, and everything else. And with with everything going on, I've I've slacked a little bit on it. But uh, yeah, we're 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 definitely trying to get out there in the uh, the gaming community on the forums and everything a little bit more. So keep an eye out. Lots of well, good I'm stuff. Not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. One of the reasons because I noticed there's little micro badges available, and the more you comment, the you can get different micro badges. So I got. I've had like commenter level one. I was like, well, what's commenter level two? <laughs> Comment on 250 posts. That's, like, how, they, that's uh, how they get you. Is this for when we go to BGG Con? You can like, you know, like, you know, fl- flex your gaming muscles and be like, look at all my micro badges. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're cool. <laughs> no. <laughs> all right. Well, let's talk about our reviews. All right. So we've decided to start rating some games. Uh, one of the things that we needed to do when we started doing this is we need to figure out how we're going to rank the games. So we talked amongst ourselves and 
what do we talk about when we talk about games? And we kind of narrowed it down to eight things that we enjoy talking about and that make games important to us. Um, some attributes, attributes, so to speak, yeah, yeah. attributes and things like that for the games. Um, one of the, I, guess, I don't know if it's the most important, but the first one we came up with are components. It's the first thing you see in a game. It's what's going to make you stop and look at a game or a Kickstarter or if you're at a convention, you remember conventions back in the day when you used to go places and uh, do things? Doing things. But you, like, even when we used to go to a restaurant that was usually four to five games, you'd walk past a table and be like, that's a cool game. You're looking at those components. That's like one of the first things that you see and in I, a game. Yeah, you, you get a game like Kingdom Death Monster with giant beautiful minis or Rising Sun with the giant play mat and the big monsters and the little samurais running around. I mean, and you just metal Bell. coins. Uh, dwellings uh, of Eldervale? No, not dwellings. Uh, Eldervale is what? No. No, you're. Th- I know which one you're thinking of. The one with the big tree. Ever- Everdale. Yeah. Everdale. Everdale. Sorry, they're the, all those e words. But like, uh, they have the big tree on there, just the and the mats and all the cards are. But components also means like how well they're made. Is it is that tree flimsy, falling down all the time, or is it a nice solid tree that stays up and serves serves its purpose? Yeah, Are the cards I mean, flimsy? I remember on Cleopatra, everyone complaining that the cards were really flimsy, as opposed to the deluxe edition. With yeah, the for, you know, it's, it's supposed to be a deluxe edition, and the cards are all flimsy. So yeah. that's what we're looking at. Is it when you punch it? When you punch out the cardboard, does the art also tear off, or does it stay on? Is it nice thick cardboard? Because aesthetics is the second thing we look at and aesthetics is just how beautiful is the art how beautiful is the game how well painted is it is it different art everywhere or is it the same picture over and over and over and over and over like what kind of table presence does the game have exactly how much table presence does it have i guess Uh, under this would also be um the graphic design is is what on the board makes sense when i'm looking at the board does it help me play the game so art, graphic design, things like that. Does it have too much going on or just the right amount? Do mm-hmm. the icons help you? Do they not help you? Um, and then once you start playing the game, one of the things that sticks out at first to kind of explain the game is the theme. So that's uh, the third one that we're going to talk about is theme. Do the uh, Does the game tell a story? Um, some yeah, games I- tell really good stories, Mansions of Madness, Feast for Odin, Anachrony, things like that. That when you play the game, you feel like you're doing. The thing. And also, the rules can be explained story wise. Can I shoot that guy? No, because there's a door in front of you. Oh, well, yeah, that like makes if sense. you can explain the rules by asking a question about the themes, like, well, am I allowed to do this? Well, according to the theme, this is what we're doing. It's like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. and it's one of those things where, like, it doesn't make or break the game, but it's definitely one of those things that can make you feel better about playing the game. And, and it definitely helps. I mean, I mean, and then there's some games that have a pasted on theme is uh, what a lot of people say, uh, similar to like Dominion. Dominion, you're building their kingdom. It's like, no, you're not. You're buying cards and playing cards. But there's yeah. that there's that theme on there mm-hmm. that helps the game have some art and things like that. But it really doesn't do much for the game. Now, this this next category doesn't really determine a good or bad, but it's how much player interaction is there. And this one's going to be dependent on... The person playing it. There's some people like me that love player interaction and messing with everyone on the board. And then there's people who hate it, who just want to play their solitaire 
multiplayer solitaire game. Mm -hmm. So you have a game like Paladins of the West Kingdom or Castles of Burgundy, where you're focused on your own thing and you're puzzling out your own board as opposed to like Paladins. The interaction between the two players is if I land on you, you can change some card order, which is a minor thing. Oh, that's Vicouts. Yeah. Paladins. There's really no interaction. The interaction is, Oh, he took the card with the four purple workers. I'll have to take the one with the three red and the three blue. Um, so there's not really a lot of player interaction in those games, as opposed to a game like Blood Blood Rage or Rising Sun, with a lot deeper player interaction, where your what you do will, depends on what the person before you and after you are going to do. I think the um, hardest one, yeah, that yeah. we had because the next one we were going to talk about is, and this one is. I guess the hardest one we could think to define is a game's weight. So, I mean, you, you hear this all the time. Oh, it's a heavy game. It's a heavy Euro. It's a light Euro. It's a light family game. It's a medium size. Like, defining what that is, I, I think, is really subjective to the, to the person playing the game. Because some games that people have called heavy, you know, we've looked at and been like, oh, it's not that bad. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of rules, but it's all relatively easy. I've also oh. played some the other way around. It's like, oh, that's a really light game. I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, like one game, uh, like, for example, like one game I would think, and this is, I think, the epitome of heavy game is, like, what was what was that hospital game that we played? Oh, it, is that what it was? Yeah, that game, yeah. even, like, it took me, like, halfway through the game, I was still like, oh my god, what is going on with this game? Like, there was so much going on, and it was like, that. that is a heavy, heavy game. But when you look at, like, the individual rules, it's like, it's not that any uh, one you're only rule doing is three hard. things on your turn. <laughs> yeah, there's just there's a lot of bookkeeping involved and a lot of remembering little things and it's but that game was heavy. Mm-hmm. Right. And and like you said it is subjective, but I think we came up with a pretty good definition of how long does it take you to understand the game and come up with a strategy. I think that last it. word is uh to come up with a strategy because there's lots of games that you can explain the rules and you can play the game and i can work through the game and do the things that the game wants me to do but it's being able to come up with that strategy well it's like you said about uh glory to rome you're like i hate that game i played it twice i won twice and i have no idea how i won Mm -hmm. you know i think i don't think that should be a factor into the game you should always know like oh i'm gonna go for barrels you play the game and you win because you had the most barrels at the end and or you didn't win because someone blocked you or you know you should have an understanding of the game while you're creating that strategy. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how we defined weight. Uh, the next one is the mechanics of the game or mechanisms of the game. What does the game do? Is it a deck builder? Is it a worker placement game? But also do what the designer put in, do they work well together? If they've mixed several different mechanisms, do they work together? Does the game flow? Is the game finicky? Or, or is it, or is it like Sean said, just a lot of bookkeeping? This game just ends up being you put a meepo out, you gain a, a resource, and then you spend half an hour bookkeeping and making sure every, every, you know all your numbers are correct. Or does the game just flow and not? It, it's like nonstop. Uh, variability. Um, as much as people want to play games more and more, the variability comes is, is is important to a lot of people. Unfortunately, I don't think it's as important to us because we we so many games we play two or three times and we're done. I would love to play games more and 
experience the variability the game has. But games that have different setups, um, like uh, Dead of Winter, where each game has a different mission, um, the cards are going to come out in different orders, and the mission, uh, the individual missions each round, uh, I forget what the word is for that. The crossroad the, thing? The, the oh, bad the, thing. Oh, the, 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 I know what you're saying. The, the crisis. Yeah. So in Dead of Winter, when the crisis comes out, well, that they're going to come out different each game too. I also think that this would uh, mean variability in how the player plays it. Because mm-hmm. in Dead of Winter, it sometimes I feel like it's the same thing. Oh, go to the police station, get guns. Go to the go to the hospital, get medicine, go to the grocery store, get food. As long as those three things are covered, you're, you're done with the game. Like every mission needs food, guns, and, and medicine. Um, how, how different is it from game to game where you have to adjust your strategy based on what's on the board? Yeah. And then um, there's games that come out as the car, even though the cards are going to be the same, the order they come out, Mm-hmm. Uh, changes that variability of it and there's some games that uh, Misty and stuff that it's going to feel almost completely different every time you play mm-hmm. uh, there's then, games like Root and Vast that depending on which characters are playing the game's going to play differently based on the characters playing right and then the last attribute we look at of course is how long did this game take to play and this one's a tricky one because a box might say 90-minute games, box and three, three hours later, you're sitting there going, uh, how many more rounds do we have? Six. Oh, okay. Uh, damn. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think this is this plays a factor in, too. Like, I think a perfect example of this is Star Wars Outer Rim. Star Wars Outer Rim is a good game. I, I enjoy it. I think it is a good game. It's a good pick-up-and-deliver game. It's really thematic. It is way too long. Like, if that game was play it to seven points, and luckily you can you can mitigate that. You could say, we're going to play to seven points, we're not going to play to ten points, and you can kind of mitigate the length. But that game is, it wears out its welcome after about an hour and a half. And same thing with, I heard from uh, Frankenstein, the Abomination game. That mm-hmm. uh, It's again, it's, yeah, it's a great game. I've heard, I haven't played it yet, but I've heard it's a good game, it's just long. So, like, the length for us does have a factor in. Like, there's games that I would, I'm willing to play and I love to play, but I don't want to play them for three hours. If I'm playing for three hours, I'm going in there with the intention, knowing, like, something like Twilight Imperium or uh, or Battlestar Galactica. This is a three to four and a half hour endeavor. Like, we're, 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 this is what we're doing. This is our game for the day. I I understand that going in. Yeah. And I think it's, um, when you judge a game by the length, it's, Everyone at the table knows how to play. How long does it take? Um, you don't have to put learning time there because when you play a game the first few times, you have to add time for the learn. You have the time for the setup. You have the time for rules questions. But how long does it take for everyone who knows how to play to play the game? Yeah. would be a good determination on length. Well, I yeah. think that's how the box says it. But like I said, a lot of the times that's not, that's not a reality. So we're gonna give it we're gonna give it the Lone Star Meeple timestamp. All right. All right. So for our first review, kick it off, Sean. We you're the, you're the star of the show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My game. So I'm gonna do it. Uh, we are gonna be reviewing is uh, Lost Ruins of Arnak. 
Uh, it is a, it's a newer game. It only came out in the last uh, in the last couple of months. Um, it is a worker placement slash deck builder, uh, and that is what that's what initially drew me to it. I mean, I like worker placement games. I like deck builder games, and you know, you, you you've heard us say it a hundred times. We all like deck builder plus. And to me, I'm like, this is a great example of deck builder plus. It's got deck builder and worker placement, which are two things that I happen to enjoy. Putting them together only makes sense. So yeah, so the first game that we're going to be reviewing is Lost Ruins of Arnak. Uh, it is a newer game that just came out in the last like couple of months. It's a worker placement slash deck builder game. So right there, we're checking the box for us for deck builder plus. Uh, in this game, you are all playing as researchers who have discovered this, you know, this new series of islands, and we are trying to go around discovering locations, gathering resources, doing research, uh, and the goal here is to get the most points. Uh, it is a little bit of a point salad type of a game. There are a lot of different ways to get points, so how you kind of choose to go about that strategy is really up to you. There's a few different avenues you can take. Basically, the game goes through. Everyone is taking actions in like a round robin uh, type of format. You know, multi-use cards. You know, using them to travel to these locations, placing out your workers, all in an effort to get the most points by the end of I believe it was six six rounds. I think it was six rounds is what this game is. How long the game lasts? Uh, so that's kind of just a quick high-level overview of what this game is. Yeah, let's 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 break it down. Components of the game. What did you think, Sean? I didn't think they were bad. I thought they were pretty good. Um, there was one element I think your player board seemed a little flimsy, and I was a little I was a little shocked because all the other components are pretty nice. The 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 location tiles are these real thick, you know, cardboard um, that they're heavy. They got some nice weight to them. They they sit nice on the board. They don't move around. All of the resources and the tokens are are plastic or acrylic acrylic pieces, and they're all like unique and shaped. I think I think that annoyed me that. They were all really nice plastics, except for one. Like the coins in the compass. Yeah. Right? Those are little cardboard shits. And it those almost felt like shits. stretch goals that weren't achieved. That's <laughs> like, a, yeah, I also have the retail version. That very well might have been something in the Kickstarter. I, I, I missed out on the Kickstarter in this one, unfortunately. So that very I mean, well might be a Kickstarter thing. There was the the tablets that felt like clay tablets, and then there yeah. uh, arrowheads and jewels. I think that were like the crystals and acrylic bits. Um, there was a couple of wooden bits, the notebooks and the magnifying glass that had stickers on them. Mm-hmm. Which stickers is up? Eh, I would rather the heat seal, but it worked and it made it gave it a little definition instead of just a, a square cube. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but yeah. overall, I think the components were. I mean, not the best because, like you said, because they're like it was weird that they were cardboard coins and cardboard compasses. Uh, and like I said, and, and the player board felt a little a little flimsy. But the the rest of them, I think, were I, I think were pretty were solid. Pretty good quality. Yeah, I remember the punch outs. The monster tiles were nice, thick, heavy, heavy cardboard. So and when they put them on the board, it felt like because those were the guardians. Like as you put the guardian on, it was like here's the guardian. Right. What do you think of the art in the game? I remember the guardians look really cool, but everything else was just kind of generic jungle. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, the art didn't like. It was one of those things where, and you know, everyone knows I'm I'm really big into how the artwork of games look. It didn't jump out at me as anything that's like, whoa, that's pretty cool. 
Um, the Guardian the board was really pretty. I enjoyed the board before we started the setup, but then it gets covered up by all the other player pieces, and you just lose the art once on the board once the game starts. I did like how everything had its place, and when you're setting up, there's a outline of where everything goes. I always appreciate when people do that in games. Yeah, but the art I will say is not. I would say it's more than generic. But nothing that's gonna someone's gonna be walking by you playing this game and gonna stop and go whoa what's going on over there, um, right? But yeah, but it, it was it was you know like some of the cards were just really simple. I mean, some of them were better than others, but oh, overall, I would kind of call this middle to middle high from a aesthetic uh, standpoint. I remember the guardians always as the guardian came out looked cool. Like, yeah, the right, guardian who's, who's the guardian the for this part. place. Mm-hmm. All right. What about the theme? How does the theme play into the game? So I thought. One... Oh, good. I said I, I thought that the theme was actually drenched in the game. Everything was about the researchers going through the through the jungle. All the cards were thematically matching. Um, so one of the things I enjoyed about the theme was uh, the top. The round tracker actually was the card row that you could buy. And it started off with a bunch of items and no artifacts. So as an explorer, I'm going to gather my items to go explore. And at the end of the game, it switches to mostly artifacts and not very many items because now I've explored the places I'm going to start collecting these artifacts. And the artifacts seem like a little bit stronger versions of cards. But each round, there's a a moon staff, I think is what it was called, that moves down. And on the left side of it are the artifacts and the right side is the items that you can buy. But that was one thing just kept the theme going in the game. You get the stronger cards it's called the artifacts as the more you explore. Yeah. yeah. See, this is, well, this is a little weird. Usually, I mean, usually we kind of agree on theme. I, I was a little bit of the opposite with the theme. Uh, it started off for me as really thematic. And I will say, yes, the cards and things like that, they are thematically tied to the game, the way the mechanics pull out, you know, the way the research track works, like your magnifying glass, can't go higher than your journal because you can't write something down that you haven't just yeah so it's so it kind of makes sense thematically but by about the third round i I wasn't really looking at the theme anymore i was just more all right how am i going to get points i can go here to do points i can do this do points i was more involved in the mechanics after a little bit and i started to diverge away from being engrossed into the theme and i started getting more into the mechanics of how am i going to get points um, so like, it was weird for me. Like the first half of the game I was like, Oh, this really, you know, like explorers were discovering new sites. This is cool. Oh no, a guardian. And then after round three, I'm like, wait, hold on. I need to figure out how I'm getting points here. I'm just, this is all fun and everything. But, and then I kind of detached myself from the theme a little bit, unfortunately. Yeah. Ultimately it was a point salad. What did you guys think about the, the player interaction? It was there. I mean, uh, like any worker placement game and deck builder game, if I'm standing somewhere, you can't. Or if I take the card, you can't get it. But with the research track that was uh, on the right side of the board that we were talking about, the magnifying glass in the book, really didn't matter. I think the first player to go gets a little something special, but anybody who crosses it is going to get a reward. Yeah, I didn't think there was a lot of player interaction into the, in the game. About as much as... Lords of Waterdeep. Oh, I want to go to the spot you went to it. Okay. I will just find um, a different spot I'll, to do yeah. something similar. Yeah. And yeah. I also think that that even factored out less of a problem because I remember once I, I wanted to go to a spot Sean went to, but then I looked at my cards and I went, oh, I couldn't even go there if I wanted to. Yeah, I don't think there was ever so. a time that I was blocked 
yeah. from doing and, what I wanted to do. And even with the locations, there a lot of the locations they have two places that you can go. So it's just the second spot is more expensive to get there. So like you're not really it's it's hard to completely block somebody from going somewhere. Like unless like Alex said, they don't have the cards to pay the more expensive travel cost to get there. So right. Yeah, I didn't think it was a lot in the player interaction realm other than like, hey, what are you what what strategy are you going with? Are you ahead of me? Can I somehow get in your way by beating that guardian before you get it or yeah, some, something along those lines. Uh, it was more of just reacting to how other people are getting points rather than actual like interaction. That's about it. What about weight? How weighty was this game? How heavy was it? I didn't think it was that bad. Yeah, just right in the middle. It wasn't yeah. an easy game, but it also wasn't super heavy. It was just a was nice little mid-weight game. I think yeah. I figured out a strategy. Granted, I lost. my. I figured out a losing strategy around... <laughs> Round two and a half, I saw everything that was going on, and I picked. I remember I was the first one to go up on the research and writing track. I went really hard on that, and I really went through it. wasn't a winning strategy because you guys were killing guardians and doing all all sorts of other things. But it didn't take long to figure out. Oh, this is what I need to do to get points. Yeah. I again, I don't think I did very well at the game, but. I, I think I was doing everything a little bit and I should have focused on a couple of things because there's like six things you can get points on, maybe less. But I was trying to do all of them and that's not the way to do it. Yeah, right. no, I, I would just say, yeah, it's kind of the same. I, I, was, I didn't think it was too hard. You know, honestly, like when I learned how to play it, I just, I watched a video and read the rules and I was like, oh, okay, this isn't that bad. You know, it was just a couple of little things to remember, you know, like, rules wise about the way the research track works but for the most part it's a worker placement you know i have my my list of actions that i can do i have my workers and you just kind of go through the motion so yeah i didn't think it was too bad i thought it was a nice kind of middle of the road type of a thing i think it looks more intimidating than it actually is when someone looks at it at the table they see all the bits all the pieces all the resources it but playing it is a lot easier which goes to our next start, the mechanics, mm -hmm. the mechanisms. So it's worker placement, area, con not area control, the worker deck placement, builder. deck yeah. builder, which is, to be honest, I found it a little clunky. Like I said, there were times where, oh, I want to do this. Oh, I can't because I don't have the cards in my hand. I wish the deck building was more because I didn't feel like I really built a deck because I got like one, maybe two cards per round and there's only five rounds. So it's not even that I'm going through my whole deck and it, and it felt like my deck was getting stronger like a lot of deck builders do. Yeah, I think with this one, the focus is on the worker placement and the other things that the deck building part is kind of shoehorned in there as a thing. Like it, it works. And the thing that I liked about the deck builder part, though, is where with most deck builders, you buy a card, it goes into your discard pile. With this one, you get the card, and it goes right on top of your deck, so you know you're getting it next round. And was this the game when you get the card, you get an immediate action with the card? Yes, that's with the artifacts. So when you get an artifact, you get it, you immediately get the benefit, and then, you know, then it goes into your, your discard pile when you're done. And then every time you draw it, you have to pay a cost if you want to use the special ability on it. Yeah, um, I did enjoy that part, the buy card, get a benefit, and then go ahead and, and cycle it through. 
Yeah, yeah so. it, had, it had a lot of really good parts. I'm not necessarily sure they flowed well together. It, it felt it felt clunky at times. Yeah, I, I do think the deck builder like it, it enhanced the worker placement a little bit, but but it wasn't really a part. Of, it was a it wasn't really a part. It was of a game. worker placement game that one of the aspects is a small deck builder game, but I wouldn't consider it as a deck builder game. Yeah, like I was less concerned with building my deck than I was about what what am I gonna get? How am I gonna get out onto the board to kind of get different things? I was using the deck building more so to get. Tr- travel icons and looking at the abilities okay is that going to give me more resources to supplement putting workers out because you only get two mm-hmm. i will say the the thing that i found the least and this and alex maybe you can comment on this because you focused on it heavy but i felt like the research track wasn't quite that meaningful in the game and was a little tacked on i feel like the well, main well, board was the meat and potatoes of the game was you're 100 right i was really personally upset because I went really hard on the research track thinking I was going to get an edge on you guys that weren't doing it. So I remember I in like one or one or two turns, I spent the entire one or two turns going up the research track all the way to the top. By the time I did that, you guys had unlocked all the locations. There was killed several guardians. And then you turned around and everybody pretty much reached the top of the research track like I did. Yeah. And I, I was sitting there going, well, you know, I was trying to get those 25 points and now everybody has them. I gave up monster points for that. Does that make sense? And yeah. it kind of upset me that, granted, like I said, I picked a losing strategy because I'd never played the game. I think with that but, research track, it's just a status quo kind of thing. If everyone's ignoring it, don't worry about it. But if someone's starting to go strong, you're going to have to spend a little bit of time over there. But it's not something you need to focus on. Yeah, I think it, there should have been a like you can't use certain cards unless your research is this high yes or or you can't you can't go to certain locations until your book is this high or or even like each card had a little modifier on it yes then everyone gets this ability but if you've researched this far you also get this exactly so that's why like i said i was upset with the research track but next time we play i'm not going to do that Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the biggest benefit to the research track was once you get to a certain point on it is when you start unlocking taking uh, assistance. And yeah. assistance just give you another thing you could do on your turn. Once I got both assistance, I was like, I kind of ignored it. I was just like, all right. I mean, if I didn't have anything else to do, I'll go up in the research track. Like but I, I feel like it was kind game. of inconsequential to the game. Like any good worker placement game, the more workers you have, the better. And I know they're not typically typical workers, but they do allow you to do actions a little easier. A free action, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Variability. Uh, I mean, we only played it the one time so far. Um, but I think we pretty much played through the item deck and through the artifacts deck, didn't we? Didn't we get most of the way through it? No. Yeah. I mean, there was. I think still. I think we got through about 50% of it. I mean, I think that's going to be the biggest variability is just the order of the cards that come out, what cards come out, the locations will be well, in different spots, but that's really about it. I don't think a person's strategy is going to vary that much game to game. I think the, like I said, it's not like there's lots of paths to take to victory. Be, okay, so I'm looking at the uh, rule book. There's 10 level one sites and six level two sites. 
and on the board there's eight spots so there's 10 sites for eight spots you're gonna see eight of the 10 every game and you're gonna see four of the six of this level two sites every game so the sites that are gonna come out you're gonna see the same ones each time um, yeah and it's just the where they are and the travel costs to get there it's gonna change the monsters might change but other than that like Overall, I, I the game stays the same yeah, I, I don't think there's a lot of variability in the sense that um, I think it's very good. It's like ripe for expansions, but I think as is, you know, two, you know, three plays of it. Okay, we can kind of pause this one for a little bit until something new comes out. You're gonna, for you're it. gonna, you're gonna explore everything there is to explore in the game. It's just, did you enjoy it? Keep playing it, but if not, eh. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and as I say, like, I mean, overall, I I did enjoy playing it. I think it's 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 definitely a good game. I wouldn't be going back to it because I know or I feel like I'm going to be experiencing something different every time. I'd be going back because I enjoy the way it plays now and the way that it is. I don't think I'm going to be getting you, anything. You know what it is. You know what to expect. You know what cards to look for. So I, I would say that every game is going to feel the same. Mm. All right. And then, then we have the, the length of the game. Like, is it a um, game... BGG like, says 30 minutes to 120 minutes, so half hour to hour and a half. Oh, a, a half hour to two hours, my bad. I would say um, it's about a two-hour game. I think if you're learning it, you're going to spend an hour and a half, two hours. We played I, think, four yeah, I think we played in about an hour and a half. I, I th- we played a full a full game, and I think it took us about an hour and a half. Uh, the yeah. thing is, it, it's one of those games where the length of the rounds scales up as the game goes on. Like The first couple rounds were quick. You were just like zipping yeah. through them. And then as you got more resources and more things to give you more, more actions, actions yeah. yeah, more things to do and more free actions that you can take, the rounds start taking longer and longer as you go. But I, I think it was a solid timing wise. Like, you know, I had a good idea of how much time was left in the game as we were playing. Uh, I didn't feel like it overstayed its welcome. You know, I was I just was about to say that it, it lasted just long enough. Mm-hmm. All right, so final thoughts in this game. I mean, how would you guys rate this on, like, say, you know, a scale from 1 to 10? Alex, what would what would you think this would be in your book on a scale of 1 to 10? I would give it uh, about a 6.5 maybe to a 6.8. I like games with more player interaction. I like games, I like games with um, more variability into it where my decisions – where, where my decisions are more impactful. Uh, it is a fun game. It's light, fun. I could, Like you said, I play it two, three times, and I'm done with it. Mike? Um, I'd probably give it right, right, right around a five or six that it was fun. I enjoyed my time of it. There was nothing there to pull me back to it more. It's like, oh, I really, really love this thing about it. I, It didn't do anything new enough and different enough for me to have it stand out. Yeah, I'm, I'm around the same range. I, w- I would call it about a 6.5 for me. Uh, I, I think I enjoyed it enough that I would play it another couple of times. But, you know, the the disconnection of, like, that research track from things and, you know, the, the way that, you know, the deck building element wasn't quite there for me that I thought that it, sh- that it would have been, you know, in a game like this. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of lowers it. So I would definitely play it again. I'd play it a couple more times. I enjoyed it. But like Alex said, I don't think there's enough of vari- variability in it right now to keep me coming back to the table to play it. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah. 
So there you have it. That is the Lone Star Meeple review of Lost Ruins of Arnak, published by CGE. Feel free, jump on our website, you know, send us a message, tell us what you think about the game, and you know what? Send us some messages, let us know the types of games or what games you'd like to see us do a review on, and we would certainly be happy to do that for you. Uh, we're also all over Facebook and Instagram. All over Instagram. TikToks and TikToks, Twitter. And what was your TikTok handle again? The Red Meeple Reviews. And don't forget to look at our YouTube page for lots of things coming out there. That's right. The Lone Star Meeple on the YouTubes. Congratulations to all our winners. And keep coming back because we're going to be thinking of what the next giveaway is going to be. Cool, cool. Well, I guess that's going to do it for this edition of the the Lone Star Season 2, Episode (laughs) 1. Don't forget to come back next time as we talk more about the games we love to play. All All the games and all of the love. (laughs) Good night and good luck.